John 19, verses 1 to 3. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think about the person of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I can sometimes be tempted to forget that Jesus was an actual physical human being. Our Lent series this year focuses on the wounds of Jesus in order that we might learn what God is saying to us through Jesus's physical body and hear how God might be communicating with us through all that he endured, learning more about ourselves as physical beings in the process. And so I'd encourage you as we continue this morning that though at times it might be difficult or uncomfortable or perhaps even painful to hear about the deep wounds that Jesus suffered for us, let's pause and, and ponder for a while as we consider how those wounds minister deeply to us today in the 21st century world that we live in. Now, have you ever thought much about what Jesus actually looked like? We have a vast array of artistic impressions available to us at the click of a button. A simple Google search, for example, for images of Jesus returns 973 million results. What image of the face of Jesus comes to your mind? Long hair, a beard, pale skin or something totally different? However we imagine Jesus, it's clear that soon after he began his public ministry, he was recognised by hundreds who gathered to hear all he had to say. The picture that is clearly painted by the Gospels is one of Jesus being filled with wisdom, as we read in Luke 2. So much so that over 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the things that he said and did. Perhaps you imagine him walking around, his eyes taking in the natural world around him, the world that would so vividly fill his lessons and parables, or his ears listening to the voices of those he came into contact with in order that he would know when to challenge and when to affirm. The wisdom that God, his father, filled him with radiated out of him day by day, hour by hour. But what ultimately was returned to him was rejection and suffering. First, there was the kiss from Judas. And perhaps we haven't really thought of that in terms of a wound inflicted on Jesus, but surely it was. And the reasons for it may be unclear. Was it financial gain? Was it that Jesus wasn't behaving as Judas thought he should as the promised king. But we know Judas agreed with the religious authorities that he would lead them to Jesus with a kiss. 
in Jewish society, it was the norm to greet house guests in this way. And certainly the disciples of some rabbis would do this as a sign of respect. And so it wouldn't have necessarily been anything out of the ordinary for a casual observer. But this kiss has become scandalous, though, because the sign of affection and respect that it was was given completely the opposite intention. It was as a mark of identity for execution. And this deceit scorned the friendship that Jesus offered his disciples, specifically Judas, and led to Jesus's capture. Judas would have known this act would have condemned Jesus to a violent and cruel death. And though clearly not as painful physically as all that was to come, it was personally devastating, betraying the bond of trust and friendship. And yet, even in the midst of all of this, Jesus's response is to embrace it. He says in Matthew 26, verse 50, friend, do what you came to do. How, how do we respond when we've been betrayed or our trust has been undermined? Do we feel able to respond with forgiveness and understanding as Jesus did? Or do we allow our feelings of rejection and resentment to dictate our actions towards that person from then on? Jesus's forgiving response, though, through what would have been such a shocking personal wounding, is both a challenge and an example to us in the relationships that we have. His response is also one of deep encouragement to us too, that we follow a God who offers complete and total forgiveness at great personal cost. Secondly, there was the spitting and the striking. It's described in Mark chapter 14, immediately after Jesus's trial before the high priest. Jesus is blindfolded and taunted, told to prophesy and work out who it is that's spitting upon him. What must that have been like for Jesus to see his accusers do that to him and then to be prevented from seeing when it's coming his way? No idea where the next assault was coming from and from whom. Jesus's sight is denied along with his freedom. Nerves are heightened and senses are on high alert. There is no other word for this other than torture. And we have no clear idea of how long this treatment of Jesus lasted, but we're in no doubt that it continues with the attacks becoming ever more cruel and inhumane. Hitting or striking someone is bound to cause pain, but striking certain parts of the body will cause more pain and other parts are widely recognised as causing particular offence. The striking of Jesus's face is recorded in a number of contexts and it seems, particularly according to John's Gospel, that is that it is to deeply insult Jesus in response to his claim about who he was. John 18 verse 22 tells us 
that one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is that how you answer the high priest, they say. And yet there were still no grounds that these officials could find to keep Jesus. They would have to rely on false witnesses, along with their unceasing and increasing violence, in order to secure the conviction of Jesus that they so eagerly desired. And so first, Judas's kiss of Jesus's cheek causes great emotional and personal pain. And it set off a chain of events, the brutality of spitting and striking Jesus's head and body that led to his trial. And after the trial, they continue to taunt him. This time it was the soldier's turn. John 19 verses 1 to 3 tell us, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. And then in verse five. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. The soldiers went way beyond their orders to whip Jesus, mocking his claim to royalty by placing a crown on his head and a robe on his shoulders. Mark's gospel adds that they continued to spit. And whereas once Jesus healed a blind man by spitting in mud and gently using it to restore his sight, here his enemies use their spittle to pile shame and humiliation upon the one who could have healed their spiritual blindness as easily as he healed physical blindness at Bethsaida. However, there was something truly exceptional going on here. Until this point, Jesus had not been crowned, but this powerful moment right here speaks to the fact that Jesus's kingship is most clearly seen in his humility in the face of great suffering. His kingship is characterised by love rather than fear. He is the king for those who love him and the king for those who mock him. He's the king who will overcome sin and Satan and death. He will establish his rule and reign in our hearts for all eternity. He is a king crowned with a crown of thorns because his death will be brought about by unspeakable suffering. This moment, though, is the gateway to resurrection. And this is the point at which his coronation occurs. This is the Messiah and his name is Jesus. And so in 2021, as we continue to experience challenging circumstances and yet endeavour to be people of hope, choosing to live under the kingship of Christ Jesus, what does that look like? What might we look like? Well, firstly, it means we will be different 
Romans 12 tells us that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we come to understand or understand more fully what it means to know and to be filled with the same Holy Spirit that Jesus was filled with. It will mean a totally different kind of life to the one we might have had before we came to faith. A life that chooses faith in him rather than our circumstances and strength in him rather than searching for strength inside of ourselves. It will mean a relationship with God where we find ourselves partnering with the Holy Spirit, anointed and empowered in the same way that Jesus was. And so I'd encourage you, pray, seek God, ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you might be equipped for all the good works that God has for you. And then notice the transformation of your mind take place as you see people and circumstances in the same way that God sees them. God calls us to be holy or sanctified in order that we would be empowered to serve him and live lives that express and embody the kingdom of God through our words and actions. We won't always get it spot on. We might always feel like we're inadequate and that we let him down time and time again. But, you know, his hope and his confidence is in us, in you and me. Why? Because in his infinite wisdom and economy, he has chosen us to partner with him to achieve his purposes. We brought him to the cross and we gave him a crown of thorns. But he transformed that crown of thorns by his resurrection to a helmet of salvation, which is offered to all those who believe. Despite all that we did to him, he chooses to partner with us and loves us more than we could ever imagine. Jesus gives us authority to act in his name. He was anointed for an authority which came from suffering and not from physical force. And our authority, which flows from his, will have the same source. His authority is not the same as the world's. It comes from suffering. And that's not to say that we don't find authority in the world or that we shouldn't obey it. And it's certainly not to say that we should seek to suffer. Rather, there is an authority in the most unexpected of places. We don't need to place our trust in our own power to achieve, but in the power of God. The power of God that through Jesus has complete authority over sin, authority over injustice and authority over evil and the evil one. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says this, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. There is ultimate and complete victory in the wounds Jesus suffered. 
in the crown he wore on his head and at the cross that he was placed upon. And so as we continue to reflect on that in this season of Lent, be encouraged today that though he suffered deeply, victory and salvation is ours today. Amen.